The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back to our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now, here's the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Hello, everyone. Uh, Today's show is about nasty teenagers and owner's manual. (laughs) Not all teenagers are nasty, but... Uh, as we know, that age is a rather precarious age, and so nasty can mean all kinds of crazy things. So uh, bottom line is nasty teenagers. That's what we're talking about. All right, so here's just uh, – this is off the topic, but here's some uh, fairly funny parent-child text flubs. Uh, here's one. Hey, Mom, I decided I'm coming out. Oh, Michael, we always knew you were gay. We still love you. Mom. I'm not gay. I'm coming to see you in May. <laughs> Dad, I got an A in chemistry. WTF? That's great. Dad, what do you think WTF means? Well, that's great. <laughs> mom. This is a message to mom from her son. Dad and I fondled ourselves last night. Nothing came up. What? Googled, damn, autocorrect. (laughs) Here's another one. Mom, uh, this is to her daughter. You're coming out for Christmas, right? Yes, I am, bringing drugs. You better not bring that crap to this house. I mean, Doug. Well, why didn't you say that? (laughs) Your mom and I are going to divorce. What? Call me now. I meant going to Disney. (laughs) That that autocorrect. Does all kinds of crazy things to our messages. <laughs> so anyway, today we're going to kind of go from how the brain is designed on into, uh, especially regarding teenagers, on into their behavior, on into how to parent. Uh, it's a rather controversial time period. Uh, it's something that uh, kids often struggle with. And so, uh, you know, and parents especially, uh, you know, usually adore their kids and then suddenly their kid turns into a completely uh, defiant individual. This doesn't happen across the board, but it happens in many cases. And there's certainly lots of secrets to be found in uh, childhood and especially in the teenage years. You know, you just cannot supervise your children 24 by 7 and you can't be there to stand back, you know, a parenting uh, thing I did here on the on the show was that y- you know when the kids are at the teenage years, your best job, the best thing you can possibly do is give them options 
instead of trying to tell them what to do. Most values are taught to teenagers by the time they're 10 years old. If a kid's 10, usually if they've been with their parents through the entire time, they know what the what's right and wrong. They know what values are. Actually, the teenage years are the time to exercise those values, and you want to see how your kid does that. And so the deal is you want to give them the option to fail and the option to succeed. And if they fail, let them know what their discipline is. If they succeed, then let them know what their praise is or just let them know their you know, life is good. But the bottom line is it's really critical for parents to not be so uh, – uh, uh, autocratic with their children and tell them what they should be doing during the teenage years because you're setting up a rebellion. So now, here's some MRI research, and, and uh, this is a magnetic uh, re- a resonance imaging, which is often done by neurologists. And what they do, um, basically, they're able to detect how the brain is operating and how it's developing. And um, we used to think that at a fairly young age, Um, especially before the teen years, that the brain was fully developed. Um, But that has proven scientifically not to be the case. The fact is, um, using MRIs, they have mapped the brain from early childhood into adulthood and found data that is completely contrary to these beliefs. You know, the brain continues to change into nearly the early 20s with the frontal lobes, which is right towards actually in front of your eyeballs. If, you, if your brain is right above of your eyeballs, that's where your frontal lobes are. And they're responsible for reasoning and problem solving. And they're actually the last to develop. And that's what makes us human. In calm situations, you know, teenagers can rationalize almost as well as adults. But stress, if stress is involved in a teenager's thinking, it will hijack the process and uh, their decision making. Um, the, the basically the frontal lobes put the brakes on a desire for thrills and, and taking risks, a building block of adolescence. But they're also one of the last areas of the brain which once again develops fully. So this this area of the brain, this pre the the, the frontal cortex does not function well under stress and basically it bypasses it gets bypassed by the brain stem and then we get impulsivity and a lack of logic a lack of reasoning um although uh, scientists don't know what accounts for the observed changes they uh they basically call it a pruning process and uh, what that basically means is you use it or lose it um you know the neural connections the synapses in the brain if they're not exercised and retained, um, we lose it. And so that means it's important for teenagers to process decisions. And I'm, I know I'm throwing a lot of science out here, but here's the key to the, what I'm trying to say. It's very important for them to make choices, even if they're wrong choices and face the consequences. The reason is, is because it develops synapses in the brain. It develops highways that the brain becomes familiar with. And what we want them to do is learn while they're under your protection, while they're under your roof, basically learn what is right and wrong on their own. Most teenagers are what's called experiential learners. They have to experience something to actually learn it. You may tell them a thousand times, but they just have to do it themselves. And, and most teenage population is like that. Some are good listeners. And if you have children like that, you're very fortunate. You know, in, in this day and age, young adults are, are living at home. 
until their mid-20s, early 30s. And this is becoming more and more and more a part of our population. Therefore, they, their need to survive really is not intact as much as it is as a kid that has to go out there and do it on their own. And therefore, this pruning process that I'm talking about is really shaping our population in a different way because they don't have that survival need that's out there. And I'm not talking about every kid. I'm talking about the kids that stay home or have a very safe sanctuary in their 20s to early 30s where they don't have to get a job. They don't have to do things on their own. They don't have to make really strong decisions on their own. And what they basically consequently do is make decisions that please them, decisions that are easy. And even if they have children and they're living with their parents, they probably likely depend on their parents to do most of that work. And, and therefore, they don't have to do a lot of the processing. Therefore, developmentally, they develop later. And their brain may not even develop because they don't have to form that decision-making. It's really important because... In the teenage years, the brain is still forming and on into the 20s that we make these kids make choices. Choices are what character is about. That defines them. They can make bad choices. They can make wrong choices. But if they're still making choices, their brain is developing. If we are making all the choices for them and trying to protect them in every way and not allow them to make decisions, then you can expect your kid to live with you until they're 25, 30. And even after that, they're going to be depending on you because they won't have that necessary survival mechanism in their brain to uh, make them get things done. They'll do a lot of impulsive things because they're very safe. And people that are safe do a lot of silly things because they have too much time on their hands. Now, a teen brain, the neocortex, the part of the human brain responsible for language, planning, empathy, and executive functions. Executive functions are things like driving, uh, you know, riding your bike, um, writing. Uh, it could have to do with basically what you, you need to do, the necessities that you repeat every single day that are executive functionings of your, your life. Um, that hasn't fully developed that neocortex inside the average 13-year-old's head. And so on into the early 20s, the teen still relies on more reactive, guttural instinct part of the brain, the amygdala, which handles emotions and memories associated with emotion. So lots of kids, especially if you think about a haunted house, we can logically as adults walk into a haunted house and not necessarily get that scared, but their imagination, their, their triggers, their emotional triggers are all still there in their head and they're still working from the amygdala rather than the neocortex. You know, they're also very, not very good at, at once again, we mentioned empathy, language planning, executive functions, but they aren't also not so good at reading emotion on other people's faces. You know, um, they can miss some very, very obvious signs. You know, they, they may not understand how mom and dad are looking at them. They may take offense because they read the face more as uh, angry at them rather than concerned about them. Um, so they, they have a very poor ability to read people. And so as we get on into later in life and have better emotional intelligence, we tend to read people better. And that's not everybody because I can tell you there's a lot of people that can't do that. Okay. The average team will come in one day loving you, 
then the next day, with no warning, you are a total enemy. There, there's so many things that are going on physically and emotionally, sexually. All these things are being undertaken by a brain that isn't capable of functioning like an adult brain. They're starting to be able to recognize making independent adult decisions, but they don't have the processor to get it done. Um, you know, teens are just crazy. <laughs> I mean, anybody that's had a son, uh, 13, 14, 15, you can't get in the bathroom because you know what's going on in there. And uh, in, it, it's certainly not pooping or peeing. And so there's, a, you know, all of a sudden they're taking very long showers and there's all kinds of crazy things. You know, there's a lot of exploratory things going on at this age. And, and quite frankly, we as uh, uh, human beings have basically been set up biologically and genetically to be early breeders. And that's because we used to die at a very young age. You know, 30, 40, 50 was very old, uh, not but 100 years ago. So uh, the bottom line is is that we are going to have to, uh, you know, get ourselves together and understand that we cannot fight the biology that has been there for thousands of years when just 100 years ago now we've changed to people should marry later in life. Okay. You know, teens are extremely temperamental. Um, they feel like they're not respected because they don't know why they do a lot of things. They're very defensive. Uh, they think they know it all, and actually they know they don't know it all, but the deal is is they don't like consulting. They want to be able to be independent and learn on their own. So you're going to hear a lot of, leave me alone. I don't th- want to think about this. I don't like thinking about this. Can we talk about it later? This isn't the time. You know, avoiding the problem, and, and, and by the way, I don't know, is their, their favorite answer. And my comeback to that is, well, what is your second choice? You know, the deal is, is that their brain has a hard time doing this. But it's, as parents, it's very important for us to get them to turn those wheels and begin making decisions. Do not let them off the hook when they say, I don't know, or leave me alone. Maybe set a time later on and say, we're going to sit down and really talk about this. Now, here's some skill learning. If, if you develop a skill, and this is regarding uh, teenagers, if you develop a skill at a young age, you're likely to retain that ability. And after 20, it may get harder um, if you learn it after 20. So in order to make any progress, a child's brain has a list of priorities. At the survival rate, kids are not learning anything. For a kid walking through like South Central Los Angeles to get to a high school, uh, just getting there is a real concern. (laughs) In the big herding high schools where they have like 2,500 to 3,000 students, many of these kids' emotional needs are not getting met. I know it's it's like a third world country, and I don't know if you've been to a third world country, but third world countries basically worry about survival. That's why you're not going to find them going to the moon or going to outer space or discovering how to cure cancer. In a third world country, they're worried about their safety. And so their mind is structured entirely different than what our minds are structured towards when we're in a safe environment with law enforcement and all these kinds of things. And the brain for a teenager, in order for learning and thinking to occur, must fulfill these two categories first. You got to survive and you got to have your emotional needs met. Good parents and teachers know this. When you walk into a homey home or a good classroom that's comfortable, you see 
a pleasant place where people are welcome, and this calls for a better chance for people to learn. If you're in a place that's sterile, you're going to find that people are not in an environment that's going to help them and make them learn. You know, music is a powerful tool to connect with teenagers, and many parents despise the music of their teenagers, but if they would try to embrace and understand it and not be scared of it, they might be able to develop a dialogue with their kid that they may have never had before. And, uh, you know, music can be a bridge. And I advise, you know, for teenagers, if you can jive into the music that they like or even some of the shows that they like, you're going to find yourself in a place where they are connecting with you. All right. We're going to come back in a little bit. Uh, actually, I'm going to cover this before we go. Here's some stupid things teenagers have done. Teenager took a selfie with a squirrel and got attacked by the squirrel. <laughs> a student attempted a backflip at a graduation and ended up under the bleachers. <laughs> Snorting Smarties and getting diagnosed with nose maggots. Now, Smarties are like candy. So they, they uh, I guess they crushed them and snorted them and then ended up with nose maggots. Very good. To avoid doing chores, rode the subway for five, success, uh, five consecutive days. This is stupid things teenagers have done. Getting stuck in a storm drain and having to be airlifted trying to get a dropped cell phone out of the drain. <laughs> High school seniors sued their parents for college tuition, having sex with a Hot Pocket, and two tattoos of McDonald's receipts on their forearm. These are stupid things that kids have done. Come back. We're going to talk about communication with teenagers. Come back to Absurd Psychology. This is Dr. Gary Bell. Thank you. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Dr. Gary Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, but he is here to help you no matter where you are. Visit drgbmft.com. You can schedule an appointment with Dr. Bell, and many major health insurance plans are accepted. Call or text Dr. Bell today at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com. Dr. Bell could help you take back your life in four to eight carefully constructed sessions. Stop coping and start living in the now. Call 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. Are you good at leading yourself? In order to be more effective leaders in business, as managers, or in any organization, you've got to start by being good at self-leadership. On Leadership Takeoff, host Mo Glenner and his guests bring you the tools to help you lead yourself and your team to truly become the pilot in command. You need to tune in to Leadership Takeoff, live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Because the sky is not the limit. It's only the beginning. When you make decisions, do you ever find yourself in doubt? Are you trying to figure out what's right with you? Are you ready to truly change your life? 
Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the founders of Access Consciousness, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane Here. Consciousness is all about including everything and judging nothing. Our program will help you break free from your personal limitations and enhance positive change in all areas of your life. Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. I, you know, I just want to uh, make sure that everybody listens to this part of it because it's very important. And this is the fact that our teens do enormously stupid things. They think there's logic to it. Um, they do things like, uh, we'll talk about it later on the show, like sexting their body parts or having sexual dialogue with a boy and a girl where it ends up into some scenario that could end up with intercourse. They do uh, things, you know, when behind the bushes that they may <laughs> not do or want you may not want them to be doing. They may go on dates. They may go on secret places. They may do all kinds of certain of things that are embarrassing. They may take a car, and uh, they may you may catch them masturbating. You know, bottom line is when we face our children with their bad choices, it is extremely important for us to have taken a breath and try to understand that, number one, their brain's not fully developed. Number two, they're just starting to make adult decisions. Number three, uh, they know better, but their impulsivity is extremely strong, much stronger than that of an adult. Number four, and I'm just going off the top of my head, guys, but you know, bottom line is you cannot give them a very ugly reaction and expect a good outcome with your kid. You, If you are wanting to punish them before you dialogue with them, that is the worst possible thing you can do with a teenager. What you want to do is sit down and find out what in the world's going on or how did you decide to make these decisions. It's important to remember those two words of communication and uh, that is what, may, you know, what, use the word what, or use the word how. Do not use the word why. Why will offend? Why is a motive-based question? Why will call for a lie? So if you want your kid to lie to you, ask them a why question. If you want to, your kid to have a dialogue with you, what you want to know is, I'm not going to attack what you did that was wrong. What I'm going to attack is your decision-making. I want to understand what was on your mind. What made you decide to make these choices? And that calls for a very calm adult, very good eye contact, not someone that is highly reactive and highly negative. 
it doesn't mean you're not going to consequent. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get your point across. But if you want your child to hear you, you need to be willing to hear them first. They need to be able to process their decision-making with their parent. And if they cannot do that, they will stop listening to you and you will just become the ugly, mean parent. And that's not what we want. And if we want to have nasty teenagers, we need we are probably horrible listeners. Horrible listeners usually raise lots of nasty teenagers. All right, so communication with the team. Teen, we all develop certain patterns of communication. And we establish both verbal and nonverbal habits in the way that we communicate. So if I'm going to roll my eyes with a kid, uh, with a teenager while they're talking, that behavior itself is going to call for them to shut down. You know, if I'm going to turn my back to them, if I'm going to talk over them, if I'm going to uh, stop listening to them, stop making what they have to say important, they're going to shut down. You know, if your communication patterns you've been using with your team do not seem to be effective, then you need to establish new patterns of communication. And I can tell you I get thousands of clients that come because they cannot communicate with their kid. And it's so funny because the kid will come in here, I will talk with them, and I have a great conversation, even over the worst possible things that they have done. However... What happens is we're able to get a resolution and then I'm able to help the parent communicate with the teen in a way that they will hear. That is something that a parent may have to get help if they have been so negative with their teen for so long. You know, if you're still feeling stuck when it comes to parenting your teen, you, you know, you're not alone. It, they are horribly hard to manage. They are kid, these kids are angry. They're going through roller coaster of emotions or hormonal. Their sex is on their mind. Uh, then they're trying to get an education at the same time. It's extremely frustrating for parents uh, with their teens. While some parents report they, you know, they argue too much with their teen, others report they're able to get their teen to talk. And, and it's great to hear that. When they can get their kid to talk, that means they're doing something right and they need to build on that. So we need to examine our communication patterns with our teenagers and not continue to do the same thing, hitting our head against the same wall. Now, here's some tools for listening. Avoid asking too many questions. And that's the, the what and the how. And that's why I gave that to you. What and how are process-oriented. You're going to get a lot of content from a what and a how question. Also, uh, you know, one pattern of communication that makes a parent feel frustrated is when parents ask too many questions. They ask their child, how was your day? And, and the only response they get is like, fine. You know, if it sounds like this happens at your house, you need a new pattern of communication. Try giving your teen space to talk about their day. Avoid asking rapid-fire questions, but instead give your teen the space to offer information without being asked. Greet them when they see, when you see them, but stay quiet. Give them a chance and see what happens. They may just come up and talk to you. If they avoid you, then you still want to open up a little bit and create an opportunity at some point after you've given them space to be able to talk to you. Also, you don't want to nag too much because nagging means you're not listening. You know, sometimes parents feel a need to nag about homework, chores, daily tasks, but nagging can set you up for failure. It can lead your child becoming increasingly resistant 
and argumentative. It also prevents your child from taking responsibility from their behavior because you're making more volume, more noise than they are. You know, if you're caught in a pattern of nagging, you need to try a different strategy. Establish rules and give your child consequences, and that's called a behavior contract. And you look that up on the Internet, and you're going to find all kinds of behavior contracts for teenagers. And if you fill out a behavior contract and sign, both of you sign the contract, what happens is the teen is in charge not only for the behavior that you're wanting from them, but also for the consequences if they don't do what they have said they would do. You know, stop lecturing your teen. I cannot tell you how many parents think lecturing is getting through to their kid. It's not. You know, they're not going to talk if you're not going to listen. You know, they'll tune you out. You know, it doesn't invite them to speak. It doesn't lead to effective communication. Long lectures usually are terribly ineffective. Uh, You know, teens get that at school. And they sit there and have to listen to lectures. And now they have to come home and listen to lectures about how horrible they are. You know, if you're a lecture kind of person, you need to consider a problem-solving approach. A problem-solving approach. And that means a listening approach. Refuse to argue with your teen because arguing is a negative communication pattern that many parents get stuck in because basically it's child to child behavior. Child to child is arguing. That means nobody's listening. And that's what you're teaching your kid is not to listen. So arguing back refuels the fire. You know, if you're caught in a a pattern where you argue with your teen, try doing something different. You know, don't get the last word. Instead, be firm, follow through with consequences when necessary. If, If the teen is coming back to you. Why do you, you never give me this, you never give me that. The answer is this, and here's the consequence, and that's that. You told me you did this, this is what I saw, and this is what it's going to be. Now, what else are we going to talk about? I'd like to talk to you about positive things rather than negative things. This event's over, this is the decision, and this is the consequence. And if you're that way with your kid, they will respect you because you're setting up boundaries, Experiment with new communication techniques. You know, um, you know, it takes time to change your patterns. You know, keep, you got to practice. You know, if you need to, uh, if you're used to arguing or nagging, it won't be easy to stop. But you need to commit to do that. And if you have a spouse or a friend that you can do that with and role play, that is a good idea because that's actually going to get your brain to understand how you're not being effective because they're going to give you feedback on how they're receiving it. And, you know, role play is actually a great way for you to begin to understand Um, how to communicate with your nasty teen. So here's ways to deal with disrespect. When you make sure that the rules of the house are very clear and very specific, you need to say to your child, when both of you are calm, we've been fighting a lot lately, so we need to sit down and clarify what our expectations are for your behavior and what the consequences will be for breaking the rules. You don't need to argue about that. You're setting up a time. You're saying we're going to sit down and clear this up, and we're going to make it sure that it's realistic because your teen is ever-evolving. Their needs, their wants, their desires are always, always changing. And so it's extremely important for you to stay in tune with them, and you may have to revise your consequences, and you may have to revise your communication and your expectations. 
You know, when your child talks back to you or refuses to do something, take a few seconds to remind yourself to stay calm. Take a breath. Get some water. Drink some water. Do not threaten or yell at your child. These behaviors can cause the whole thing to escalate and, you know, simply put, um, you're, you're not going to be heard. Your child is not going to feel like you're in a mindset to set consequences. They're going to see you as out of control, and they're going to see you as a person that basically is unstable and not worthy of parenting them, and they will begin to disrespect you. So, you know, if you're going to talk back when they refuse to do something you ask, you need to keep your ego in check and calm down. The other thing is you need to be confident, firm, and consistent. Confident, firm, consistent. That is an adult. Don't negotiate with your child, back down, or let them draw you into an argument about conse- uh, or, uh, yeah, consequences that are, you are trying to enforce. If you're going to enforce a consequence, make sure that it's something you have set forward before. Don't just make it up. Make sure that it is something you have set in stone. And that's why I say get those behavior contracts because they will develop those consequences. They will know what the consequences are. Then you're not just making up, reinventing the wheel right there in front of them. They know what you're doing and they know it's wrong. I can't tell you how many parents end up taking a kid's phone away for a year or six months or some. I mean, some people are so punitive in their discipline and they're so impulsive and then they're too stubborn to back off and say, I made the wrong choice. You know, that you, you don't want to turn your kids' teenage years into the most miserable experience of their lives. So, you know, the deal is with consequences, just be calm, be confident, be firm, give them a chance to save their mind. You know, if they feel like they need to argue or whatever, hear them out, validate them. That means I understand. I hear what you're saying. So what you're telling me, this is the best response. So what you're telling me is you don't like this consequence. You don't think it's fair. And that's that. Well, I'm your parent. I'm not your best friend. I'm your parent. And this is the deal. And here is what's going to happen. And leave it. And give them a chance to earn their way back. Say, okay, um, you talk back to me. I'll tell you what. If you want to wash my car and come back and apologize to me for what you did and tell me completely what you did wrong, then maybe I will take away a day or two of this punishment. So you want to give them a chance to come back and to earn respect. And you, Especially the most important component is you want them to apologize. Apologize. That is taking responsibility. And tell them what they have to tell you what they're apologizing for. You know, you have to be willing to have conversations rather than arguments about adjusting the rules and consequences every few months as they get older. So this is, is critical. You know, back talk sometimes comes from teenagers trying to learn how to assert their independence and test limits. You know, and, and I know because my eight-year-old does this. She is a miss independence, testing limits, talking back. And I think she gets it from her shows that she watches or whatever. But the deal is, is they're trying to set boundaries too. And so you want to make sure that when they're asserting their independence, you're listening, you're hearing it, but they have to take responsibility for how they're talking to you. And they need to apologize. So as much as possible, let them be responsible for their behavior by apologizing 
and they may have to have negative consequences, but also you have to be willing to be the adult and listen. And so this dialogue with kids is extremely hard because when you see a kid wanting to be adult, you're expecting more adult conversation and likely you're not going to get it. So, <laughs> All right, so here's some other uh, things to deal with a teenager who is rude. You know, um, when your child uses rude words to label you or someone else and ask, ask them to be, you know, here's, here's something you want to say. When you call me blah, 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 when you call me mean or when you call me, I know they call you people worse words than mean. But so when you call me this, it is not only rude, it will not be tolerated, but it does not help me understand what you want. So tell me what you are upset about or what you would like to happen. That is the response you want to give them. When you call me this, it's not only rude, I'm not going to tolerate it. You have a right to tell your kid how to talk to you, but also you want to let them know that you do want to understand and you want to know what they're upset about. You know, one you know, the most common refrain from teens is you don't understand. You know, don't frustrate your child by saying, yes, I do, or I went through exactly what you're going through now. We all like to think experience, all our experiences are unique. Instead of asserting, been there, done that stance, help your child practice communicating without being rude by responding. I may not understand, but I want to try to understand what you're feeling. Can we talk about it later when we're both calmer? Or can you write it down and send me an email if you like? Email can be helpful. Not texting, email. Now the deal is, guys, it's so important in that you are constructive. Do not tell your kid once again that I do understand or I know exactly what you're going through. That is not helping. They, they need to have that independence. Now think about how you speak to your child and others around you. How often are you sarcastic and rude? Is your child picking up your tone? And the way you treat each other, try to adjust your own behavior. And remember that whether they know it or not, you, you know, your child's greatest influence in terms of nurturing comes from you. So consider telling your child that you've noticed that you can be rude to others and that you're going to try to modify your behavior. So if you have a rude child, you may be rude too. And they may be learning that that is the way to go. You know, you also want to give your child the same respect you would like and try to refrain from name-calling and labeling with such words as spoiled brat. Instead, keep the focus on the behavior you would like to change. You know, if your, if your child seems to be out of control or defying you in ways that they endanger their safety or others, you want to seek a professional assistance, and that is a therapist. All right, this is Dr. Gary Bell. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back for our end, and we're going to talk about defiance how to respond dealing with teen sexting and all kinds of wonderful things that teens get us into. Come back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Do you like what you're hearing on the show today? Dr. Gary Bell wants to help you no matter where you are. He's fast, efficient, effective, and has a no-bull approach to helping you in less than 10 sessions. If you're ready to change right now, drop everything and call or text Dr. Bell at 951-818-7856 or visit drgbmft.com today. 
You can also follow Dr. Bell on Twitter at DRGBMFT for some great insight and direction. Are you ready? Make that change. Pick up the phone or go to the site, 951-818-7856 or drgbmft.com. Remember, drgbmft.com. Are decisions at the leadership level determined by influences of external factors? Discover by tuning into From the Boardroom to the Bedroom, The Protocol Praxis with Suzanne Z. Pedro. Science reveals that decisions are made subconsciously based on emotions and learning which occurs before one is aware. So take a chance, open the door, reframe your critical decisions with proven successful strategies. The Boardroom to the Bedroom. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it'll take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, now we're going into a segment where we're basically dealing with defiance. And defiance can actually come at all ages of children, but defiance from a teenager is like trying to talk to a dragon. I mean, it's just a very, very uh, difficult process. So, you know... Your child, your teenager, is defiant for a reason. And you have to understand, I need to find out what is the reason for this defiance. They're, they're either getting something, an item, a privilege, or avoiding something like a chore, participating in activity. You know, you think about your child's behavior and write down what happens just before this behavior. And, and if you do that, what you may find is that the consequence of what they're doing may be a pattern. And that means you want to communicate. So if you know that, notice that they avoid when you uh, uh, ask them to do a chore, that they always avoid it, you don't want to fault them for avoiding the chore. What you want to find out is what is their thought process? What's going on? You know, you always avoid this. What's, you know, let's make this funner. Let's try to make this different. But this is something we have to do in life, and you're going to have to find a way to motivate yourself. Also, you got to consider, you know, brain chemistry. You know, children, as teenagers who have defiant behavior, may be really overwhelmed by their emotions, especially during transitions or situations that are, aren't clearly explained. You know, these kids are oftentimes learning about the opposite sex and, and not in just, just sexual ways, but also in ways to communicate. And that is extremely frustrating because they don't know each other that well and they don't know how to communicate and they don't know each other's needs. I mean, it's like dealing with the two creatures from outer space and putting them in the same room and letting them try to learn each other. It's very, very difficult. But their brain chemistry, once again, we talked about the lack of empathy. Many of them lack that and lack the understanding of how to actually connect. 
And so we, as parents, can help our kids by learning how to connect, but we have to consider our brains, our kids' brain is just not fully developed, and we need to empathize and, and try to help them calm down and not be overwhelmed emotionally. We need to help them process their emotions, process their problems. Do not tell them, I know how you feel, but back off and let them process through how they feel. Process through their emotions. Once again, use the what and the how. Also, follow through. If your child says no after you give a direction and you either give up or do the task for them, you're basically teaching them that they don't have to ever do it. And over time, they may become more and more defiant. Um, I know that it, with uh, once again, I have an eight-year-old when I help her with her homework if I don't help her with with parts of the homework that I've helped her with before, suddenly she gets extremely upset. She's mad at me because she thinks that I'm responsible for taking, you know, going even farther than I should to the point where she wouldn't want to even learn anything. And so the deal is I have to make sure that my actions are measured. So we as parents, when we're dealing with our kids and when we're negotiating a no, do not back down, do not back away. Simply come back to the no and hold your boundary, but do it with a listening skill, not with defiance back to them. Also, as I said earlier in the show, you want to offer choices. You know, it, 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 you've, you've asked, you've conjoled, you've bargained, you've demanded, but your teen still won't follow directions. Then what you present are two options that are acceptable. You can, uh, you can come back at 9 o'clock. Or you can come back at 8 o'clock and you can have a reward. Or you can come back at 10 o'clock and here's what the consequence will be. The more choices you're offering them, the more their brain begins to develop and the more respected that they feel. They have the right to make the wrong choice. Also, use questions and not commands. You know, clean your room or, you know, what you <laughs> would you go clean the car or clean out the garage you know making demands of them is not going to get their attention it is not helpful you know instead of uh, clean your room you know what do you need to do to clean up the room that way rather than defying an order your team can show off what they know and if you need to use a reward to encourage them to complete the task and i'm not talking about monetary you may just say Okay, if you clean your room, then on Saturday you can stay up one hour later or you can do something. It doesn't have to cost money, but you can certainly give them more freedom if they show more responsibility. You know, the other thing is kids are always asking the why question and don't get frustrated by that. They need to learn. Take it serious. If they really want to know why, explain why. Uh, they may not understand the big picture and they may not understand the dynamics so don't take offense at the why questions. Offer that as an opportunity that they're actually asking and you're actually going to provide them an answer. You're actually communicating. So a why is a good thing. It may be an offensive question, but it is a question that is worthy of answering for your kids. Now, the bottom line is don't use the why question back to them once again because it is an offensive question. And kids don't understand that. Even adults don't understand that. But I'll tell you this. If, if, if you're ever an interrogator uh, if for the police, the FBI, the CIA, 
you're not going to find them asking why questions. You're going to ask them finding what and how questions because why questions are going to offend. You're always going to get a negative outcome on a why question. However, if your kid's asking you a why question, stand back, don't get offended, and go towards it. Okay. Now, also, it's important to recognize process. When you're trying to, to uh, get your child to do like a multi-step task, like cleaning their room, the job might seem overwhelming to them. So give them one direction at a time. You know, some kids are not good at processing the whole thing. Maybe cleaning their room is too difficult of a task. Maybe what you want to say is, okay, I need you to clean up under your bed. And then after that, I need you to make your bed. And then after that, I need you to go into your closet and hang up the clothes. I mean, it's that kind of breakdown that will help you get things accomplished with your kids. Also, take a break. If your child throws a tantrum, don't start talking to them while they're throwing a tantrum. As a matter of fact, if your teen is throwing a temper tantrum, the best thing you can do is give it a timeout, come back to it in 20, 30 minutes, give everybody a break, let them think about it ask them to take responsibility, and then come back and have a conversation. The other thing is, is if they're in a, the groove of trying to offend or if they're angry, then, you know, find another stimulation, food, uh, music, television, something, to, to have another conversation with someone else, a phone call. Do something different to avoid what they are directly trying to confront you about. If they're getting all upset, divert the stimulation to something different and then come back to the conversation. Do not uh, just break away from the conversation. Let them know when you're coming back to it. All right. Also, you know, changing your parenting style is huge. I cannot tell you how many parents basically will try to parent their teen like they're a little kid. And if you're going to parent your teen like they're a little kid and have to show up to everything and have to embarrass them, uh, you don't trust any of their decisions, um, you're always there, you're always following them, you're always telling them what to do. Um, basically, that's what we do with little kids, but we don't do that with teenagers. So if you're going to do that, expect yourself to be the greatest enemy in your child's life. They will hate you. Um, they will not want to be around you, and you're going to hear over and over again, when I turn 18, I cannot wait to leave. So you need to adapt your parenting style to one that goes from authoritarian to more democratic and listening type of parenting. It doesn't mean you're not in charge, but it does mean you do respect their opinion. And know when to seek help. That is the critical thing. A lot of parents just keep parenting the same way, and the kid just turns into an absolute monster's. So, with defiance, here's four clues how to respond to defiance. Respond without anger, and that means you stay calm. Be clear and consistent. So, if you're going to offer consequences, be consequences that the child is familiar with. You do not take things personally, ever, with a teenager, because it's going to turn into a power struggle. And it's not really about you. It's about your child and what they need to learn. And so you being upset that you have to parent your child makes your child feel like you don't love them. So do not take things personally when you're having conflict with your child. Take it as I'm not communicating and they need to be able to listen. I need to find a different way. And if you need an expert to help you, 
find that person. Don't be your child's friend. Be their parent. And this is where it bites people in the ass. They want to be their child's best friend when they're growing up and kids are huggy and lovey and wonderful to them and all of a sudden they turn into a monster teenager. And I will tell you this, if you're going to still try to be their friend by buying them things, by by doing all kinds of things for them, you're going to find yourself in a really bad situation. So, you know, remember being a parent is not a personality contest. There are several there are times when your kids are not going to like you and they may even shout, I hate you or call you foul names. But if you keep setting limits with your child and, and follow through by giving them consequences and holding them accountable, then ultimately you're going to be doing the best thing for your child. And that's what parents do. And once again, that's that behavior t- contract. So dealing with teen sexting. Emailing and texting um, ex- sexually explicit content is become commonplace in schools with teenagers. And uh, they girls are sending boys nude or partially nude photos. And frighteningly, it seems as many teens view sexting as the new flirting. And I will tell you, I cannot tell you how many times I get some lovely little 14-year-old girl who's been shooting her body parts all over the school to all kinds of boys and they've been sharing with each other and now she has a reputation and even though she may not have lost her virginity she may as well because everybody's thinking of her in a certain way you know kids do not realize the consequences of sexting and and it, it can occur within a, a romantic relationship at other times um there it's a flirtation where they're trying to attract attention and that happens and big bad things take place, especially with these kids with their brains not fully developed. They basically are sexing each other in relationships and the next thing you know, they break up. And where does that content go? Well, probably the internet. And guess what? All these porno people are buying it. And it's sad because uh, a kid in their teens who sexes, sex, uh, does the sexting may end up uh, having their uh, kid, when they're 30 or 40 years old, looking at their naked uh, pictures doing things with somebody else. You know, peer pressure may also play a role as some teens think it's cool to have explicit photos on their cell phones. And other others think they should share their photos because everybody's doing it. And there's a lot of followers out there. So uh, the deal is with, with texting body parts, you want to talk about the dangers to your teen. You know, don't, they don't consider this an emotional, social, or legal consequence. They don't consider the, the emotional, social, legal consequences that this can have on their lives. So you want to educate them about the potential dangers that these types of messages can have. You want to hold frequent discussions about the potential consequences of sexting. Ensure your teen how aware they are the serious of the issue uh, can be. You know, if you're embarrassed about bringing it up, start talking, the, you know, asking questions like, you know, I, I've, I've heard a lot of news stories about teens sexting. Does that happen a lot? Uh, you can also use media as an example by showing your teen news stories that involve teenagers facing legal consequences for possessing child pornography after receiving ex- sexually explicit photos from other minors. So, you know, this is key. Does your teen have healthy relationship skills? And you want to be able to teach them that because your marriage is probably not the finest example. You want to teach them how to be assertive. You want to teach them how to problem solve. You want to teach them emotional regulation skills and conflict 
resolution skills. These are key. Assertiveness, problem solving, emotional regulation, and conflict resolution. That is key to being able to teach a kid how to have a healthy relationship. Okay, that's our show. Absurd Psychology is next Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific and 4 p.m. Eastern. Our next show will be on molestation and the lifelong effects. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Love to hear from you. Get your feedback, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or Twitter at drgbmft. Remember, anger is like peeing on yourself. Everyone can see it but only you get the warm feeling that it brings. And by all means, marry. If you get a good spouse, you'll become happy. If you get a bad one, you'll become a philosopher. That's Socrates. Thanks for listening. I hope everyone has a great day. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you.